Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello, ho, ho, everybody, and welcome to another festive episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami, and with two days left until Christmas truly kicks off, we thought that we would tackle a film that is very near and dear to everybody's hearts. And of course, I cannot do it alone, so I had to recruit the help of a fellow ghost of Christmas past. He is the one the only, Andrew. Andrew, welcome to Chatsunami, and I've just got asked, why are you floating there? Bar humbug, Satsu. Bar humbug indeed. Yeah, I'm floating, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I'm floating, I'm, I'm a ghost of Christmas is yet to come. Oh, that's the bad one, isn't it? I'm excited to talk about the, the topic that we have today. Yeah, I was going to say, the robes and everything, um, the scythe is a bit much, you know. <laughs> Touch my robe. That's the wrong Christmas carol, isn't it? Quite possibly. <laughs> Wait, is there actually a Christmas carol film where he says that? Yeah, the uh, the, the Jim Carrey one. The recent-ish uh, one. Yeah. The uh, gross of Christmas present goes, Touch my robes. See, you say that, but when did that come out? Oh god, I say yeah, I, guess I say the recent one. I, th- I, th- I think it came out in like 2010 or something, didn't it? 2009, would you believe? Oh. I just looked it up there. Oh my god. I saw that in the IMAX, would you believe? Dagger in the heart. Yeah, oh my god. Speaking of that very subtle introduction, and I was just saying before we came on to record that there was a very morbid way I could have introduced this podcast, so I'm going to try not to be as faithful to the source material. But today we are indeed going to be talking about a very beloved film of Christmas. Do you want to tell our lovely listeners at home what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, we did hint at it that it's going to be a Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, but it is not your standard interpretation of a Christmas Carol. It is indeed the Muppets Christmas Carol that came out in 1992, I believe it was. Well, would you believe, and I'm getting my early fact in here, but would you believe this year is the 30th anniversary of this film? Really? 30 years ago? Well, that makes me feel old, because as someone born in that same year, I don't know what's worse, the fact that I'm the same age as this film, or the fact that technically I'm older by a couple of months than this film, which, that does not bode well, no. There's more gravy than grave about that fact. Oh, God, there is indeed. Yeah, we can't, we can't blame it on a crumb of cheese, a fragment of undone potato. Yeah, going back to The Muppet Christmas Carol, what is your first experience of this film? Because when people think about A Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol, uh, as we said, it's written by Charles Dickens in the 19th century. It is a widely beloved Christmas story and probably doesn't need much of an explanation, but to give us swift rundown for the two people who probably don't know. It's about a old miser called Scrooge who gets visited by three ghosts and ends up renouncing his miserable ways. You know, it's a story that's been done to death but this version of A Christmas Carol seems to be the one that sticks in everyone's minds. So going back to you, Andrew, what was your first exposure to this film? That's a tough one because I do I do have memory of watching A Christmas Carol growing up. 
or a Muppet, rather a Muppet's Christmas Carol. But I don't have particularly strong memories of it as a child. And I think my kind of real appreciation of the movie came much later. I think it came probably closer to my kind of university days where I really started to appreciate it more. And I think I started watching those films more frequently as well. So I'm a late appreciator of the Muppet's Christmas Carol, but it is it is certainly my favorite edition, favorite telling of the Christmas Carol story. What was your introduction to Muppet's Christmas Carol? What does it mean to you? Well, see, in all honesty, I feel as if a Muppet Christmas Carol has always been there. You know that way where it's just it's one of these Christmas films that's always been in the rotation of Christmas films. It doesn't feel as if it's, I mean, with films like It's a Wonderful Life, Jingle All the Way, you know, like ones we've actually reviewed in the past. It doesn't feel as if, you know, there's not been a Christmas where we haven't put on a Christmas Carol or, you know, by extension, a Muppet Christmas Carol. So it's kind of always been there. But it's funny you say that, that you don't have any strong memories of this because I'm exactly the same. I remember at Christmas time sitting down and being like, oh, we're watching a Muppet's Christmas Carol. But yeah, it's just kind of been there. You know, it's like the Muppet in the corner just waiting to (laughs) bring you on this magical journey. Before we dive into this film and both what it means to both of us as well as how we would rate this film, before we dive into this film and we really deep dive into what makes this such a great adaptation, would you say that this is an adaptation worth checking out? Yeah, I really think it is. I think it, it holds up fantastically for all ages. It is a very interesting telling of a story that it's almost told like a play as opposed to any other interpretation that I've seen. And the performances of Scrooge by Michael Caine is brilliant. Such such a wonderful performance. And the use of the Muppets characters and their roles are really fun to watch. So I do think it is worth watching. I think it's probably the most interesting and fun telling of Christmas Carol story. And yeah, I think that anyone who has not already seen it should. And if you have, then make sure it's added to your, your Christmas rotation. Yeah. See, in all seriousness, I could not emphasize that if you haven't seen this film, obviously you'll know the story. This isn't one of these stories where, because I was going to give the audience a spoiler warning to be like, oh, spoilers, go watch the film first. But see, in all honesty, I feel like this is one of the rare occasions for a story that's been around for 200 plus years yeah i know just in case (laughs) just in case you you thought you were gonna get away from spoilers it's like oh i haven't read that yet but see before we go on and we deep dive in i've actually got a couple of comments from twitter so before we started recording this episode i put out a tweet to the lovely followers over on Twitter and I asked them to include their comments about what they thought about this film. So will we have a look at these before we go into the film? Yeah, I'd love to hear what our lovely listeners have to say. We have the first comment from our friends over on Casting Views who say, well, they gave two responses. First of all, they said, for me, it's between this, The Muppet's Christmas Carol, and Jingle All The Way. Don't make me choose, (laughs) followed by, in a serious response, though, I really like it. It's a nice, fun film to sit with at Christmas that tells the classic tale in the only way the Muppets could. That is a good point, though. This film is very unique, isn't it? You can look at it 
bit in similar ways that you do with Muppets Treasure Island or has there been any other Muppets versions of stories? I'm trying to think. I think there's been quite a few. There's Muppets Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. And I think when they were on TV, they had parodies and retellings, but it Mm. was always very much comedic. It wasn't really as faithful to the material, as far as I know. I think they did a Star Wars parody thing in one of their episodes, and Gonzo was uh, Darth Vader. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Our next comment comes from the Doom Generation podcast, who says, We've got this one coming up next week too. Who doesn't love the Muppets? My favourite character is Rizzo. Light the lamp, not the rat. That is words to live by. I have to admit though, I was actually really surprised when I put this tweet out because I was like, oh, everyone will have done the Muppets Christmas Carol by now on their podcast. What I didn't realise was there's actually quite a few podcasts just now who are going to be reviewing this film for the 30th anniversary. So it is amazing how even 30 years on, this film is so influential. Yeah, I think it's a testament to how important this movie was to people that so many are interested in voicing their thoughts on this and we can add our own two cents throw our uh, our torch into the fire I thought you were going to say the rat into the fire yeah th- throw our Rizzo into the fire what did I just say <laughs> light the lamp not the rat taps the sign <laughs> So our next comment comes from What's the Script podcast. You say, it's the best version. Usually after watching it, I need to watch The Muppets Treasure Island. That is fair enough. Nick Root says, I love this movie. I'm a huge Muppets fan since I grew up watching them. This is such a great adaptation of the Charles Dickens story and keeps with the Muppet humour. Plus Michael Caine is Scrooge perfect casting. We will definitely get onto that when we dive into what makes us so great, but yeah, spoilers, Michael Caine is fantastic in this film, isn't he? He is, he is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on, on his performance. I do think that he does a brilliant job. I do see some aspects where he doesn't fully commit And I think that we'll get into that more later on. Cult Film Companion podcast is also mirroring Nick's comment there, saying Michael Caine as Scrooge was an example of perfect casting. This is a must-watch every year for me and my family. Absolutely true. Loken NZ, apologies if I mispronounced that, says, I love this movie. In New Zealand, we have Christmas and summer, so this movie massively helps me get into the spirit of things. We have the Talking Smack podcast that say it's the best interpretation of the book to date and it has no right being as great as it is. The God of Pods movie says, oh yes, love this movie and my house can recite it back to front. And it's, I think, one of the quotes we said earlier, Come in and know me better, man. Human Paladrome says, such a great adaptation. We have every rom-com podcast saying, Michael Caine honestly should have been at least nominated for an Oscar for this performance. He makes you forget he's acting against Muppets. He brings me to tears when the love is gone scene, which I've enjoyed all these years on my old VHS tape, The Best Scrooge. Keep that in mind because we will be returning to it. We have Victoria Wheeler saying, I have a lit professor friend who lectures on this every year truce to Dickens' intent including the narrator's large presence can I just say that lit professor friend actually sounds amazing for bringing it up in lectures I wish mine was bring up Muppet Christmas Carol he's doing a world of service there exactly 
Oh my god, I wish. Jess B saying, watched it just last week with my daughter. It was her first viewing. Love Michael Caine. Narration is funny and clever. You know, you can see a pattern starting to form here with the certain aspects that people are really praising in this film. And there's just one more from Matthew Vandiver who says, I saw it for the first time a few days ago and this comment actually blew my mind by the way. He said, I saw it for the first time a few days ago. Unfortunately I didn't know Disney Plus had put the uncut version in the extras instead of replacing the regular upload. Did you know about that? I didn't until quite recently. I think it was you that brought to my attention that there were uh, there were extras to the movie that I hadn't seen. I think one of them was a was a song that isn't in the normal version. It seems to be the only bit that is cut from the film because I followed up with that person and I was following up with other people because it was like, is there like a Lord of the Rings cut that we don't know about? Like three hours of a factually correct Muppet Christmas Carol we're not seeing. Scrooge doing his accountancy for another hour, muttering bar humbug as he goes through each each account. I'd watch it. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Usually this is the part of the episode where I go, I'd watch it, but no. <laughs> There's only so much festive joy I think I can extend to this. But yeah, you're right. It's the song When Love Is Gone, which is a song between Scrooge and his fiance, I want to say. And yeah, it's like a big love ballad that they cut for various reasons. But if you want to find out why they cut that, will we just jump into why we think this is such a good film? Yeah, I think we should jump into the uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. We will indeed dive into the gravier than grave analysis of this film. But until then, please hang on for these festive messages. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Chats and Army, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe. Stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low-quality, one-track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. As we said, this film is beloved by a lot of people. With certain films, there's always going to be one or two people that go, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I think it's okay. I think it's great. And obviously, you know, A Muppet's Christmas Carol isn't going to have fans everywhere. But is it safe to say that the majority of people, whenever this comes up in conversation, people don't really have bad things to say about this film? No, I don't think so. I've not heard anyone voice any discontent towards A Muppet's Christmas Carol. I have heard people who have 
chosen preferences of other Christmas Carol interpretations, like the um, aforementioned 2009 Jim Carrey Disney Christmas Carol, which was a Robert Zemeckis movie, which is very good. I didn't appreciate it very much initially, but it's a very good uh, adaptation. And I would say it's probably the closest to the book that I've encountered. And then an older generation might be more interested in the Alistair Sim version of a Christmas Carol, which is very popular. And then, of course, there is the Mickey's Christmas Carol. Those are pretty memorable adaptations as well, and I would certainly give them credit, and I think that each person is entitled to their own opinion regarding which is their favourite. But I think that there is, there does seem to be a majority consensus that the Muppets Christmas Carol is the favourite among Christmas Carol fans, or at least among Christmas fans, because it tells the story of Christmas Carol with a childlike whimsy that is not as present in most interpretations of it while still remaining quite faithful to the source material it doesn't talk down to its audience but it still manages to keep it interesting to all ages so i think that it deserves a huge huge round of applause for how this film was created and directed which was the directorial debut of brian henson the son of the late jim henson who had passed just two years prior to the release of this movie Uh, and so jim henson gets a acknowledgement at the beginning of the film along with puppeteer richard hunt who voiced and puppeteered several iconic characters so we can get into that a little bit more later but it does stand out as one of the one of the greats and it's largely uncontroversial in the cultural zeitgeist good word (laughs) thank you yeah no you're totally right it does feel a bit like I, i don't know if this is like fair to compare it to this but it almost feels like the film version of you know how every year you've got christmas songs and every year there's always a new artist trying to break out and be like oh look at my version of this song or look at my new original song so you get loads of people trying to make their mark and make their stamp but at the end of the day you're still gonna get slayed why um, uh, Mariah Carey, defrosting in the corner. You know, you're going to get all the usual people coming back. And I feel as if with Christmas albums, Christmas albums is a very saturated market. You don't have to listen to me to know that if you go on Netflix right now, you'll see a Christmas story, a Christmas chronicle, a Christmas dance, a Christmas adjective. Christmas Prince 5. <laughs> now even princier. Ooh. Yeah, that, <laughs> this that's... time he has a hat. I want it, I want it, I want it. <laughs> Hey, he has a crown. I want it, I want it, I want it. But that's the thing, though, is like there's so many films, and especially with A Christmas Carol, that is one of the quintessential Christmas stories of our society. It's absolutely revered at Christmas time, and there's so many interpretations, like whether it's the Disney version in 2009 with Jim Carrey, whether it's like a Hallmark slash Channel 5 film, where it's like someone who goes to, I don't know, a rural town, and then they meet someone, and they're like, oh, it turns out who city folk heard is bit you know like all that rubbish so the fact that 30 years on people are not only still watching this film they're still singing the songs they're still laughing at the jokes they're still putting it in the christmas rotation every year because that, that's the thing we were talking about you know you usually swap out films when you get to your christmas rotation you think oh this year i don't know if 
I want to watch that film or watch this and that. But it seems as if The Muppets is quite a permanent fixture. Would you say that's fair? That it's one of the few films that deserves like a permanent place on that rotation? I would certainly agree with that. I do think that it is the best telling of Christmas Carol and deserves to be shown each year as part of the rotation. Again, it's not to everyone's taste, but in my in my opinion, it does deserve to be a part of the Christmas rotation. And it it's the film that I push for the most each year when Christmas comes around and we're talking about what Christmas movies we have to see I say well there has to be a Muppets Christmas Carol in there I put my foot down and say whatever we watch before Christmas we have to watch a Muppets Christmas Carol my family in-laws they all have their own movies that they make sure is on there uh, whether that's the National Lampoon Christmas Vacation whether that's Elf whether that's the uh, the newer one Noel they always make sure that these movies are included and also the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol and mine is always Muppets Christmas Carol. I don't care if we watch no other Christmas movie as long as we watch that one before Christmas. Just the sound of you locking the doors as you're like, who wants to watch another version of A Christmas Carol? Well, that's also kind of my issue I have because I don't particularly like watching the same story so soon after each other. So I like to space it out. For instance, my partner and I just watched Muppets Christmas Carol in preparation for today's episode. And she was then keen to soon after watch the Jim Carrey version. And I said, I think I want to give it a week. I like to have a film like Settle. I don't like to go in and either rewatch a film or watch something like this, the same telling of that story again so soon afterwards which is obviously tricky when you have such a limited short limited window over the festive period but i think that that is kind of how i like to to operate personally i don't know if you're you're similar in that regard no i totally see what you mean because comparing this to other adaptations of a christmas carol it is like apples and oranges because i feel as if the muppet christmas carol balances everything so well like the humor's not too much the serious moments aren't too serious personally i feel as if at times the 2009 adaptation seems a bit serious but again like every adaptation has its own faults and issues but at the same time i feel as if with this one it's definitely a lot more balanced and as you said it's light-hearted and at the end of the day it's a lot of children's introduction to the world of a Christmas Carol and I feel as if obviously it's the most appropriate one if I were to show a child a version of A Christmas Carol I would definitely choose this one over the A Christmas Carol of 2009 because all I'm saying is I don't want to see a skeleton version of a Muppet decay in front of my eyes yeah that certainly is very frightening I will say that the Ghost of Christmas yet to come in a Muppets version is arguably scarier than the 2009 version I think the void of its hood is very unsettling whereas you can't it, it seems a lot more kind of cookie cutter man in a cloak skeleton hand kind of thing from the uh, Jim Carrey version not to discredit that version at all it's still wonderful but I do think that particular scene is is scarier what they do include in that version which they do not include in the Muppets one or any other one I've seen really is the carriage chase scene where Scrooge becomes very tiny at one point and apparently I was like that's so silly and then I was told actually that was in the book and I guess it was just, it was just too difficult to accomplish in other tellings of the story and so they just kind of avoided it and I think it would have looked very bizarre seeing Michael Caine kind of hobbling down the cobbled streets as a, as a Muppet cab driver chases after him. Do you mean Manny Caine? Wait a second, there was no Michael Caine. <laughs> there was no Caine and Michael Caine. I think that uh, each, each has its own strengths to it. I do think that this one is more child-friendly than most. I think I like I remember even as a 
think I would have been my early early to mid teens when I first saw the Jim Carrey version, and it it did, it did kind of frighten me. The scene with the children who were like orphan skeleton children clawing at him towards the end of the Ghost of Christmas Present. And that fear doesn't really exist in the Muppets telling of the story. It maintains a serious enough tone that you can take it seriously, but it doesn't ever linger on the more morbid sections, which is it kind of avoids and censors the more Dickensian aspect of the story. But it still tells the story in a whimsical enough way that you will engage with it and it's an good entry point for a younger audience at the very beginning of a christmas carol it starts with the phrase i think jacob marley is dead which is a very morbid sentence let's face it and they even they even acknowledge that at the very as soon as he says it rizzo the rat who's kind of the foil to the charles dickens character played by gonzo he acts as a fourth wall break in addition to the charles dickens narrator who himself breaks the fourth wall one thing that hasn't been discussed yet which i would like to draw attention to and it's the case in every muppets movie but just the intro credits where we get introduced to the movie which is a very old way of doing movies they don't really do this now where they kind of have a little kind of song as you kind of leading you in where it kind of says like starring and it like has the cast that it says starring Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, Gonzo as Charles Dickens kind of thing. It allows you as the viewer, particularly as a child watching, to recognize the Muppet characters as their own acting identities, that they're, they're, they have this agency, this independence from the puppeteers that are puppeting them. It's one of those things that's been commented on a million times where a celebrity will talk about how they meet Kermit the Frog or Miss Piggy at some kind of like chat show and they are always talking directly to the puppet like instinctively they completely lose awareness of the puppeteer below and it just they they just kind of go into a childlike self of like yeah i'm talking to kermit i'm talking to miss piggy that is such a beautiful thing that the muppets as a company the jim henson company have been able to do because i cannot think of any other example where they are able to establish themselves as those characters and you believe that they exist and separate from the puppeteers or animators or whoever that are playing these characters. I, I think that is so interesting and wonderful. What are your thoughts on that? No, I totally agree with you there. It's definitely an iconic franchise. Going quickly back to what you were saying about the beginning, I actually rewatched the beginning just to kind of prepare myself for this episode to double check how they started because I was going to make a comment and be like, oh, it's funny because to say Jacob Marley was dead or in this version the Marleys were dead which this is a fun side fact by the way see for the longest time I actually believed that in the Christmas Carol there were two Marleys yeah I also thought there were two Marleys yeah for the longest time when I heard the song Marley and Marley you know I genuinely thought that (laughs) was two Marleys so see when I watched the 2009 version going back to that quickly and it said Jacob Marley's dead I was like what Where's Robert Marley? <laughs> I was like, I felt so stupid looking it up, being like, oh yeah, it's because there's two puppets. <laughs> Scrooge's firm above the door, it does only say Marley and Scrooge. So mm-hmm. It doesn't say like Marley, Marley and Scrooge, which you'd think it would given there were two Marleys. I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. 
Because you were saying as well about the actors and the human actors, as it were, you know, as opposed to the Muppet actors. <laughs> but, you know, comparing it to the human actors who, going on to the technical feats of this film, this is an absolutely fascinating film. When you were researching this, did you look into the technical side of it? I did see some of it, yeah. So I was. what was very interesting was the ice skating scene and just the scene where we see... Kermit and, uh, or rather Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim walking down the street. And it looks like the street's kind of moving with them. The way that they did that, I kind of assumed it was just like a, maybe a green screen behind them that was kind of suggested movement. But what was actually was happening was the floor below them was moving to simulate the character moving through the town. And I think that's just such a wonderful use of puppeteering technology. And I mean, the Muppets have never been shy on groundbreaking technical achievements with uh, regards to filmmaking. Are there any others that, that stood out to you? Just noting that scene, because you're right, it is absolutely fantastic when there is Kermit and Tiny Tim, which is just a smaller version of him on these shoulder and it is like you you get really attached to that poor wee frog but jumping ahead of myself here yeah apparently it took 10 puppeteers to actually carry out that scene that's that's amazing yeah you had like people obviously rolling the big drum of snow well fake snow you know you had the people like one person controlling tiny tim you had one controlling the arms the legs when i found that out and you see them all in like the green suits and everything it's absolutely incredible but another one that i thought was amazing was was the fact that, as you can see by the buildings and things, this isn't a real town. You can't really visit the Muppets streets of London, as it were. But something that was quite interesting was, because obviously Muppets are tiny, for the most part, we'll get to the Ghost of Christmas present, but for the most part, Muppets are smaller compared to humans. And to get around that, they didn't use perspective tricks or anything, you know, like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. What they did in instead was they had the human actors raised on a plank and there would be puppeteers underneath them and they would hold up the Muppets so both the actors and the Muppets could coexist in this one street this one area and I, I thought that was absolutely fantastic it's such a genius way but one thing I have to admit I was a bit like oh that would be horrible is they have to hit their marks when they come into a scene they have to make sure that they're not constantly looking down in case they fall down like I couldn't do that I mean I could after falling several times but I thought that was absolutely fantastic the way they just did it before we talk about the main characters of this Michael Caine's performance and the Muppets themselves do you want to know a fun fact about the ghost of Christmas past oh go on the ghost of Christmas past and I said this to my girlfriend so I asked her if she wanted to watch it and she said yeah and this was the very first time I got to show her it and she absolutely loved it I was saying how this ghost was probably scarier to me than the ghost of Christmas future or ghost of Christmas yet to come. Yes. Because it's like a floating baby thing. Yeah, I I find the ghost of Christmas past to be the scariest of three ghosts in almost every interpretation. It just it doesn't look quite right. There's kind of an uncanny to it. I think it, it's the attempt to be a puppet that looks human. It ends up looking like something from Labyrinth 
or Dark Crystal, one of these other like Jim Henson and Muppet type productions that are more kind of aimed at that look. It doesn't quite fit with the rest of the look of the other Muppets, which makes it very otherworldly, which I guess is what they were going for. Do you want to know how they actually achieved that? How did they achieve it? This is one of the things that I never really thought about. You know, I accepted it at face value because I thought if I question it, then it's probably going to come to me in a dream and I'll be like, oh, hell no, no. I'm going back to bed. So the way they did the Ghost of Christmas Past was apparently they put it in a tank of baby oil and they put like a green screen behind it. They put the Muppet into like a vat of baby oil or like a tank. I always think of this and I could be totally wrong, but the way I imagine it is like, you know, the Bacta tanks out of Star Wars. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's that's what it seems like where they put it in and that's why it floats because you know how the cloth underneath it floats up and down and they just put obviously a green screen to cut everything out so they did that and apparently later on because it was so difficult to like maintain and clean the tank of baby oil they had to switch to water and you might be wondering well why didn't they use water to begin with well apparently water would damage it faster but fortunately by the end of it they had got all their scenes with the Muppet so to be honest it didn't really matter whether or not they had it in water or not personally I think they made the right decision trying to destroy it throw it into the vat no it's a very depressing thought thinking about all the discarded Muppets like a, a Kermit from several movies ago that, that is now kind of decaying oh don't don't break the illusion there's kids listening to this probably <laughs> maybe no nah you're right <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that's a fun fact about that. But let's go on to one of the things that our listeners brought up on Twitter. That, of course, being Michael Caine and his performance of Scrooge. Now, I have to admit, personally for me, I think he does a fantastic job of playing the straight man in this film. Because in the Muppets films in general, they're always like very much winks to the camera. The characters are always goofy and over the top. And you think... Uh, great because it's for kids but for this they really keep it quite grounded and they even throw in a lot of quotes from the book for example we talked about the there's more gravy than grave about you whatever you are which seeing all honesty one of the best lines in literature i'm just gonna throw that out there you've got when he gets accosted for money they, they say oh we've got to help the people otherwise they'll freeze to death and then he just says you know so be it and decrease the surplus population which is such a scathing line i think that's the most dickensian kind of line in the entire at least in this adaptation of the story oh absolutely because it is it's just such a callous way of looking at the world and obviously that is scrooge in a nutshell but yeah of course you've got other classic lines like god blesses everyone you boy what day is it why is christmas day you know you've got all of these you've got the fantastic dialogue from the original book the fact that as i said you've got the comical elements and then you've got Scrooge coming in playing it very straight-faced, very serious, very Shakespearean almost, because I think that's what he said when he actually took the role, that he said he wanted to play it serious, he didn't want to have winks to the camera and be like, oh, ha, ha, look, it's me, I'm Michael Caine in a Muppets film. Yeah, it's very, inter- it's very interesting, because you can look at his performance in this and Tim Curry's performance in Muppets Treasure Island, which are starkly different interpretations of how they performed it. Michael Caine 
having treated Muppets Christmas Carol like he was doing any other movie that didn't include Muppets, that he performed it as a true actor would, performing the role as um, I brought up before, Alistair Sim before him, performing the role of Scrooge. Whereas someone like Tim Curry in Muppets Treasure Island really hammed it up, really kind of like hit home, like, I'm in a Muppets movie, I'm enjoying the hell out of this Muppets movie. I'm like chewing the scenery. And both interpretations, while starkly different from each other, are so brilliant. They each, in their own way, are so appropriate for what we're what we're viewing. Michael Caine does so so well at reading the lines like he is performing. As you said, it's almost Shakespearean that performing the lines in such a dramatic way that removes himself from what would otherwise be a very childish film. He is treating it like any other film whilst not... You don't get the interpretation that he feels he's too good for the movie he's in. There are instances, I do spot instances, where he does kind of slip a little bit in his hamming it a little bit and kind of a little smile as he says his line. So I do I do notice little cracks in that. So I don't think it is completely faultless, his performance. And I think that you're a follower that suggested that he should have been nominated for an Academy Award for this portrayal might have been going a little bit far I, in my in my opinion I don't think that it was quite that strong a performance but I do think that he elevates the movie in such a way that makes it truly memorable in terms of it's Scrooge I think if they had simply casted a Muppet as Scrooge then it would have been a very different film I think that they made the film what it is through both the use of Michael Caine as Scrooge and the wonderful performances of the Muppets themselves. I feel as if if you had someone like, I don't know, even Gonzo as Scrooge or one of the Marley Marleyans. Yeah, Statler or Waldorf as as Marley might have been one. Sam the Eagle might have been chosen or um, perhaps... um... Animal. (laughs) (laughs) There are plenty of options for them to have chosen from the Muppets cast to be Scrooge. But the fact that they decided to choose someone like Michael Caine to perform that role and the performance he gave cements this movie as a truly great interpretation of A Christmas Carol. I feel as if, as you said, if they went with the Muppet route, then it would have 100% not been as widely revered as it is today. Because going back to something I was saying earlier, it's the fact that Michael Caine does play it so seriously. So when you get to those like hard-hitting emotional moments, you know, it's so poignant. I have to I even choked up a wee bit, see, with, of course, the infamous Tiny Tim scene where he goes to the future and he sees what will become of him and what will become of Bob Cratchit and his family, and especially Tiny Tim, where the Ghost of Christmas present previously had said, I foresee, you know, a crutch with no owner sitting by the fireplace. And <laughs> considering, because I have to admit, as we were quite, you know, emotional over it, all I could keep thinking was, this is a green frog puppet that we are getting emotional over and yet it still holds that poignancy it still is emotional because you think obviously it's not close levels of emotion but it's still emotional because you care about these characters you don't see Kermit the Frog it it sounds weird to say but in a Muppets film you don't see Kermit the Frog you see Bob Cratchit you don't see well 
technically you see uh, Fozzie Bear as Fozzie Wig, which I thought was brilliant. Yes, and that was actually something I was going to bring up, that despite the seriousness of the performance from Michael Caine, the line where he delivers saying, oh, it's old Fozzie Wig's rubber chicken factory. That deadpan delivery really got me. I thought that was hilarious. I thought I, I thought that was all the better, the fact that it was delivered, as I said, so deadpan that it made the ridiculous of it so, so amusing. But one thing I want to point out, because as I say, before this film to me personally i think this film balances the humor and comedy with the serious nature of the story perfectly but there's one particular scene that they cut that actually could have swayed this a little bit and i don't know if you know what i'm talking about here but that of course it's the same scene where we see scrooge talking to his ex-fiancee at that point and she wants the wedding and everything and he's more obsessed with money saying but he wants to be quote-unquote comfortable and everything and he's concerned with the minute details which obviously leads to the breakup of his relationship. Now in the, I think the theatrical cut had this, I could be wrong, definitely the VHS copy had this and it's quite interesting to hear why this was cut. After the Fozzywig party there's a scene where they're talking by the lakeside and there was a song called When Love Is Gone and as some of the people who commented on Twitter said, it's like quite an emotional, I don't want to say love ballad, but it's not far off to be honest where, you know, they talk about what could have been and everything and it's a very emotional song, but apparently it didn't test well with test audiences. You know, they thought it kind of killed the pacing. You can watch the whole song separately in Disney Plus, or if you want to watch it with the film, then you can watch the uncut version as well and the extras of the Disney Plus version. But apparently for the longest time as well, they lost, I think it was the negatives of it. So when they actually had copies of it, they had copies of this song that had degraded in quality, so they had upscaled half of the film, or rather the majority of the old film, but they couldn't really upscale that part of it, so there was like a stark difference. It's almost like, you know when you're watching the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, and it's just there's some scenes that just take a huge dip in quality, and you're like, what the hell happened there? And then it cuts back to like your regular scheduled programming, and you think what the hell? Probably they would have been worried about that, but what are your thoughts on that do you think Andrew that they should have cut this out do you think it's a pace killer yeah I do think it is and to a wider point I think one of the biggest weaknesses of this film it's not the case for all of them but I think the songs aren't always great (gasps) yeah wash your mouth out with yeah I know (laughs) I know it's an unpopular opinion if there is a weakness of this film I think it is some of the songs I think there are some lovely songs throughout it but I do think that is what lets it down so it doesn't surprise me that that didn't test well with test audiences and they removed it. Out of curiosity what songs do you think maybe not don't work but what songs are your least favourites in this? Oh um, no I, sh- I, should have, I should have made a note of them. I can't put my finger on exactly which which song kind of pulled me out I think sometimes it was just like sections of a song like the introduction of Scrooge song I think there were like sections of it that are very kind of catchy very fun but I think it goes on a little bit too long. The song is supposed to be exposition for the character of Scrooge for young children who previously aren't familiar with who this person is 
So I understand what it's doing, but I do think it goes on a little bit too long. The one Kermit sings about Christmas being time together, that's a lovely one. I really enjoy that one. But then you have certain sections like the where they're closing the accountancy firm. I think it's an accountancy firm. And like the rats are all kind of prepping for, for Christmas. Again, another, another one where I find that kind of drags on a little bit too long. Is that the one where he skates like through the streets and everything? Yes, I think so. I'm not going to lie. I was a bit worried you were going to say something like it feels like Christmas. No, that one is a strong song. I do agree that that is a good one. Does that overlap with the song they're singing in the firm? I can't remember, but I just think there are, there are sections of it that I just don't think are strong. And I think that can often be the case in, in movies that I do find the musical numbers to be weaker. I think when we talked about uh, Klaus previously, we, we mentioned how the musical numbers were sometimes the, the weakest parts of the film. So I think it's a personal thing about musical numbers within films. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of musicals generally, but I don't think it always works in this film. And I think it's the same with the likes of Muppets Treasure Island. I'm not always a huge Muppets song fan. There, there's, there's obviously some great ones like the uh, Rainbow Connection. But yeah, the, the Muppets does have a great arsenal of songs, but I think their insistence to have lots of them in a movie sometimes leaves some of them being a little bit weaker or going on for too long on that note going on to of course before we wrap up we've obviously got to talk about the Muppets themselves and as we said before the film does such a great job of characterizing them because I have to say see when you were watching this film and you were watching Kermit as Bob Cratchit was there ever a moment where you went oh that's Kermit acting like Kermit not often. There are like the certain Kermitisms that exist, which I think are necessary in any kind of Muppets production. Like he does this thing where he kind of folds his top lip into itself when he's like upset. That's a great face. Yeah. <laughs> I adore when he does that. And I actually made a note about how much I love that. And I think that is very unique, Lee Kermit. I want to say it pulls you out because that has kind of a negative connotation. But that shows that you're still watching Kermit the Frog. That you're not exclusively viewing a complete performance of Bob Cratchit. That you are watching Kermit the Frog playing a role. I think he does play the role as do the other Muppets wonderfully i think they they do but at the end of the day i'm not completely taken in by the performance i don't think that i'm seeing a complete christmas carol performance i'm seeing the muppets personally i don't know what what is your interpretation do you see it uh a different way do you see it more as those characters rather than the Muppets themselves I think it's a bit of a mix you're completely right there are moments where the characters and by that I mean the Muppets themselves do bleed into their interpretations like I mean there's like obvious nods and winks like Sam the Eagle of course where he says which I absolutely love that scene it is the American way and then of course Gonzo whispers in his ear and he goes it is the British way and you know there, there's moments like that which I have to admit, I do like. I think that does provide necessary levity to the film, and because as we said, it is very Dickensian, it's very morbid at times and grim. So to have those Muppets to balance out those elements is absolutely fantastic. But also at the same time, I think what actually makes it so impactful as well is the fact that we do see characters that we've known for years. You know, we love them, Kermit, Miss Piggy. And we see them go through their own hardships. Like, I think that's what makes the Tiny Tim scene hit so hard. Because as I said before, I was trying to figure out why is it so sad? Why did I get an emotional gut punch and think, no, Tiny 
Tim, even though it's a puppet frog. I'm like, well, why is this so emotional? And the reason, of course, at least my rationale, is just the fact that Kermit is always happy-go-lucky, he always strives through his problems, and even at the beginning when we're introduced to his wife, well, Miss Piggy in this case, she's very much herself. At the beginning, she's like sneaking food in, she goes whatever and rolls her eyes to the camera, which is great. But then when they lose Tiny Tim, you see them in like a very emotionally vulnerable state, which is not something I would consider about Muppets, I've got to say. You're talking about Kermit and Miss Piggy losing a child, essentially. At least their characters are. And that's the thing, you've never really, obviously, I don't want to see more of that. It's obviously context sensitive, but it's the fact you see Kermit, who is this always happy-go-lucky character, just, he doesn't break down, essentially, but he's so despondent, and you know, he's just so sad, and you don't want Kermit the Frog to be sad. You want him to be happy, you want him to be running through the streets with Tiny Tim like he was at the beginning. And I think that is just such, it is the beauty of this film. It can take these characters, and it can put in those silly moments, but then also have that seriousness. And I think one of the best decisions, and it's something you brought up at the very beginning, but one of the 100% the best decision they could have made in this film is towards the end, because we talked a little bit about the ghosts themselves, we talked about the creepy ghosts of Christmas past, we talked about how, you know, full of life and how vibrant the ghosts of Christmas present is. He is absolutely fantastic as well, but then we get to the ghost of Christmas yet to come, and that ghost, as you said, he's terrifying. Maybe not terrifying in the traditional sense, like, you'd still look at him and go, alright, it's a guy in the cloak, but it's the fact he doesn't say anything, he just stalks Michael Caine throughout the graveyard, he shows him, and obviously we all know, as an audience, after knowing this story, we know what's coming, that he is the unfortunate man. And you know, he has to watch as like a helpless bystander, watching all these people kind of laugh at him. He has to like watch his, potentially one of his best friends, Bob Cratchit, just break down as they say in the book and this film as a whole his steps are getting shorter and they picked a nice place um, where he could like look over the city and things and I was like oh no no tiny Tim please Uh, as I said before throughout the film they have Gonzo acting as quote unquote Charles Dickens and Rizzo the Rat and they of course they provide their own narrative and they tell the audience what's going on which again I think that's really great for newcomers Mm -hmm. but when it comes to this segment at the very end with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. They just disappear. They make an excuse and say, oh, it's too scary. We don't want to be in it. But I think that's absolutely the right decision because can you imagine if they were trying to have that emotional core? And they undercut it. Yeah, and then you have Rizzo like saying, oh gee, that's sad. You know, it's like, where are my jelly beans? Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to go in that fire. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't work. It just it would it would completely destroy the first two thirds of the film. It would just completely you'd be like, oh right, okay, am I supposed to take this serious? Or and don't get me wrong, at the end of the day, this is a Muppets film. You're not expecting the Citizen Kane of a Christmas Carol story here, but I'm expecting the Michael Kane of a Christmas Carol. I wish I'd said that. Now, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it balances the tone so well. As you say, they very cleverly have our comedic relief as well as narration from Gonzo, who plays Charles Dickens, and Rizzo the Rat, who plays Rizzo the Rat, who have been ever-present throughout the story, providing, as I said, comic relief and context for the, the story we're, we're watching. They excuse themselves from a scene that allows the acting and the performance from both the voiceless character of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who purely uses gestures to convey what he has to convey, and Michael Caine, who almost goes through the different stages of grief, understanding what he is seeing, what he is experiencing in this final with this final spirit. So it balances that tone brilliantly by having those characters excuse themselves and just letting the rest of the film play out until the more cheery culmination when our protagonist, our anti-hero, Scrooge, wake up on Christmas Day and have a epiphany, have a self-realization of who he should now be and how he should now treat people. And so they do so well. They do really, really well at balancing how they want this film to be portrayed. Would you say they succeed in the way that they actually end this film as a whole? Yeah, I do. I think they conclude this film in a true-to-the-story way that gives its own twist, that they include a sort of song at the end that allows our main character to finally take part in the song. I don't think that he's singing it any other section of the film, and we're finally kind of seeing him embrace this whimsical side that he has been surrounded by previously and is now a part of. I think doing that works so well, and I think that is another reason why the decision to remove the song that younger Scrooge sings about losing love, I think that that was the right choice because it leaves this final number as the the one instance of Scrooge singing and being as I say, part of this wider musical group. Looping back to what we were saying at the beginning, it is just absolutely amazing how even 30 years on, all of these positive moments, all of these absolutely nuanced moments absolutely shine through and they just they just really stick the landing. Not only the way they tell the story, but just the way that they complete the narrative as a whole. As a Christmas Carol adaptation. How well would you say this succeeds in that regard? I think it does well. It does miss out certain aspects. Like, I'm of the understanding, like, he doesn't really address his nephew in this adaptation towards the end. He doesn't meet with his nephew and have that kind of moment where he accepts his invitation to join him for Christmas, where he shows his nephew this new side of him, which I think is a a very sweet moment in the story of A Christmas Carol that unfortunately is missed out in this. And instead just has it and goes straight to the Bob Cratchit's home and concludes it there, which is understandable. They don't necessarily want to remove the kind of tone that they're going for and they want to kind of focus more so on the Cratchit story rather than the nephew story. So I can understand their reasoning behind it, but I do think that it it does lack that in terms of the Dickensian story that they are trying to tell. It must have been quite difficult, though, for them to think, right, what morbidness can we get away with with the Muppets this time? You know, because when you think about the, um, personally, one of my favourite parts of the film, where they talk about the post of Christmas present, he takes them through the city, and, you know, they have that wonderful line with Bob Cratchit, thanking the founder of the feast and everything, which, I have to admit, that's a line I sometimes quote around Christmas. <laughs> like, the founder of the feast. When you see the 
the ghost of Christmas present who, even though he's in it for such a short amount of time, and that is like, you know, that, that's a whole other discussion there about how impactful he is. And you see him become slowly grey and everything. And uh, as I joked before, I didn't want to see like the skeletal remains of him. I didn't want to see Muppet versions of the children of ignorance and want coming out of his cloak and trying to attack Scrooge, which I'm not going to lie, seeing the 2009 version scared the hell out of me. Agreed. That was, oh, that was a horrible, horrible scene compared to obviously the Muppet one where he just disappears very suddenly. Yeah, he just kind of disappears. Does he disappear into like, not a cloud of smoke, that's the wrong thing, but is there an effect for that? I feel like he just he vanishes, like his ro- I think his robes remain. Like Obi-Wan. Yeah, he's essentially, <laughs> essentially like Obi-Wan. If you strike me down, I'll become more a powerful, more powerful than spirit than you can possibly imagine. Go to Dagobah, <laughs> Scrooge. <laughs> There you will find a spirit who will teach you the ways of Christmas yet to come. Which, ironically enough, was Yoda not puppeted by Jim Henson? Frank Oz. Oh, is it Frank Oz? Oh, okay. No, I mean. Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy and Yoda are the same person, which I, I can never get over. And now I can't get over yeah. that. If you, if you listen to the original Yoda, you'll hear like aspects of Miss Piggy in it, and it's it, it, it messes with you now. That, that is actually a fact. Of all the facts that we've gone through tonight, that is the one that I never thought we would do. <laughs> But yeah, this film is an absolutely technological marvel, both in terms of story, in terms of film direction, and the way they shot everything. As I said, I cannot get over the fact it took 10 puppeteers just for that one scene of Kermit dancing down the street with Tiny Tim. And there's also quite a lot of Easter eggs. I don't know if you've read this before, but for example, apparently in the final like musical sequence, there's a store in the background that has the name Michael White, which is a nod to Michael Caine's real surname. Huh, interesting. And I think I could be wrong because I never spotted this in like the film when I was watching it. But apparently, towards the end of it as well, there's a haberdashery as well called Statler and Waldorf, which are named obviously after the Muppets who play Marley and Marley in this one. And I don't know, there's just like a lot of kind of tiny moments like that, tiny background things, which I think not only are they trying to make this adaptation of a Christmas Carol as best as it can be but they're putting their own imprint on it I mean it's been years since I've seen the Muppets version of Treasure Island but from what I remember that was very comical and very over the top and it didn't feel as if it was you know they weren't putting their stamp on the story if that makes sense it was just Treasure Island but oh it's Muppets whereas for this story not only are they retelling the story of Christmas Carol but they're doing it in such a poignant way they do it in such a way that that not only is this a Muppets film, but it's quite possibly one of the best Christmas Carol adaptations in cinema. And I will go as far to say that it's probably one of the best ones because it's so accessible, it's so family friendly. Anybody can jump into this and enjoy whatever aspects, if they want to enjoy the darker elements, if they want to enjoy the nods to the actual book, if they want to enjoy just the Muppets and their antics and their kind of fourth wall breaks. I feel as if there's something for everyone. And that would be my closing comments for this film. I feel as if this is one of the best Christmas Carol adaptations. It's one that I think everybody should be checking out everybody should be enjoying. Yeah, if you haven't seen this and you're still not convinced, 
please go check it out. It's on Disney Plus, and I, I can't say anything more to convince you. Just go. Shoot. What are you doing still listening to this? But yeah, are there any final comments you want to make about this film? Not much more than what you've already said. As and as we've already said so many times throughout the this episode, the film does the story such justice that it does tell such a faithful adaptation of the story whilst remaining to be interesting for a young audience. Because whilst The Christmas Carol is one of the easier stories for children to get into of Charles Dickens's selection, it is still a story that could be quite dated if it was told in exactly the same way as was originally told. I think modernizing it in the way that they did back in 1992 and utilizing the Muppets, a group of characters that we are already so familiar with, to tell that story is incredibly interesting and makes it my favorite interpretation of the story and I think one of the best, if not the best, interpretations of the story. One thing I would like to leave the listeners to contemplate, and please do uh, comment us on Twitter about this, is if the Muppets were to do another story or movie that has already existed, what would that be? I would love to see a Muppets Godfather. Of all the life feels. I know. I think it would be hilarious. If can you can you think of one off the top of your head? Well, clearly I've got to say the Citizen Kane version of Muppets. Maybe then you'd finally watch Citizen Kane. Exactly. <laughs> You're not wrong. I've said this in a couple of past episodes, but I feel as if now I can't watch Citizen Kane because the joke has gone too deep. <laughs> so now, like, do I become that host that's never seen Citizen Kane? Or do I watch it and then I can no longer make that joke about it being, oh, it's like the Citizen Kane? Well, yeah, you're right. Either that or... I was going to say It's a Wonderful Life, but they actually have done a It's a Wonderful Life adaptation. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, like where he jumps in the river and he comes out as a nice block, yeah. I think that was a TV special, which... And this is my last fact of the night here, but apparently this was supposed to be a TV special it wasn't supposed to be like a theatrical film oh interesting well that was the initial intention and for whatever reason they decided to make it into the film it is today and personally i think that is the best way forward they could have taken it had been many years since the last muppets movie it was a long time coming for another muppets movie and i think this worked out very well i mean it was two years post the death of jim henson so i think that it gave ample time after his passing and had his son take over the mantle as a director in what was his directorial debut and of course it was honoring Richard Hunt as well who had passed earlier that year. Richard Hunt was the puppeteer for iconic characters like Statler, Scooter, Sweetums, Beaker and I think that might be it. There might have been others as well but he was originally Beaker, he was originally Sweetums, he was originally Statler. Like there's some very iconic characters there that Richard Hunt was the puppeteer for. He sadly passed away during the HIV AIDS epidemic of the 90s, the 80s and 90s. But it is a wonderful, wonderful adaptation and I do think everyone should revisit it if they've already seen it and please check it out for the first time if you've not seen it yet. On that note, Andrew, thank you. First of all, thank you so, so much for not only coming on for this episode but also talking about such a beloved film, especially this festive time of year. So thank you so, so much for that. No problem at all. I'm glad you had me on to talk about what is a wonderful Christmas movie. And speaking of Christmas, of course, this episode is going to be coming out on the 23rd of December. So we've only got two days left till Christmas. Oh, I can't wait. Absolutely terrifying. Have you got all your Christmas shopping done? God, no. (laughs) Yep, same, same. Yeah, it's going to be a mad rush. 
So on behalf of everyone here at Chats and Hammy, I personally just want to wish everyone who's celebrating this year a very Merry Christmas and by extension, of course, a very Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy Holidays, everyone. I hope everyone enjoys their the festive season, whether you're celebrating or not. I hope you have a lovely time. And on that note, as we close for the penultimate episode of the year, can you believe that? The penultimate episode of 2022. Stop saying penultimate episode. It's penultimate. <laughs> it's making it's making it's like bringing you on like a like a fear of uh, of of the end there. No, we're excited for the new year and looking forward to what is to come in 2023. Yep, we indeed have some very exciting episodes in the pipeline, especially for January. But we're not going to show our ghost of Christmas future just yet. <laughs> no, 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 te- no teasing just yet. Yeah, it'll just be me in the corner in a robe, just pointing at people. <laughs> Listen to Tratsunami. Pointing at people in the corner, that's that's a bit of a, a tease in itself. Is that not an REM song? That's, that's me, me in, in the, the corner. corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's me pointing. On that note, thank you all so, so much for listening. Stay safe, stay awesome, stay hydrated. And stay merry. And yes, have a very Merry Christmas. <laughs>